this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Amen. Good morning, church. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 2. Last Sunday, we saw how prophecy was fulfilled when at Pentecost the Spirit came and the people preached the word in languages that the people could understand. And it was such a display that some of them, if you remember, accused them of being drunk in the morning because they didn't have any other way to explain what they were witnessing. They heard sounds of rushing wind. They saw tongues like flames of fire. And as they were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And in the midst of all that, Peter stands up and he begins to preach and he reminds his listeners that Jesus was a man who did miracles and wonders and signs that God did among them. And then he says, yet you nailed him to a cross. And then in verses 32 and 33 last week, we saw that Peter testified even more. He says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. And then he wrapped up his sermon, and this is where we ended up last Sunday. With verse 38, he says, Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And we came away from that message last Sunday with two truths, that God is in us through the Spirit. He causes us to preach and share our faith, share the good news, and that God is with us. His presence enables us to speak and believe so today, moving forward in our text, we're going to begin with verses 37 in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at the effects that the word being preached had on the people that were listening and how they started to respond to this. So look with me at verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth. We believe that. Your spirit is alive and well in us that believe and in this church. Father, may your spirit move today. Take this message, work through me as a messenger, and have your way. May you be glorified by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice in verse 37, the initial response here to the preaching was that they were pierced to the heart, and they asked, what should we do? Peter's sermon shows us how the Spirit takes the gospel 
and begins to work in people's hearts. I did a study on the word pierced, and it, it means to convict, sometimes means to sting or, or to sense pain and hurt. A person notices uh, and senses sorrow and brokenness when under conviction. It's this uh, pulling or awareness that something in us needs corrected. And the root word can be found in John 19.34 in describing Jesus being nailed to the cross. And in other uh, examples of, of the crucifixion, we find that, his, that Jesus' side was pierced by a sword. So Peter's sermon, if you will, nailed these hearers with the truth of the gospel. Today we would probably say the sermon kind of hit home. They felt the sting of Peter's words to be pierced, or some translations say pricked in the heart. It, it affects a person's thoughts, emotions, and, and the his knowledge of right and wrong. So it's our mind, our emotions, our will, our conscience. So when the audience asked brothers, what should we do? I think it's important to note here that the response did not come from some orchestrated invitation, if you will, or some emotional worship experience, or from hearing the splendor of a hundred-piece choir and orchestra. None of that was in place. No, it came from the power that comes from the preaching of the Word and the conviction of the heart that comes from the Holy Spirit as we hear the Word proclaimed. You see, the church is unstoppable because the Word of God is unstoppable. Our God is unstoppable. Many of us, or many have tried to stop the church. They've tried to remove the Word, but they have not succeeded because Scripture also says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? And with God in us and God with us, we become this unstoppable force, if you will, against the spiritual battles that we encounter. We just sang about that. We've got this power in us to, to go through the fires and fight these battles that are spiritual. Do you believe that this morning, church? Yeah. Paul even writes in Romans 8, 11, I think it, it uh, sheds light on this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. We are tapped into this amazing power as believers in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 38. We begin to see Peter's response to their question when they said, what should we do? Without hesitation, the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth is repent. And we see that word repent or repentance throughout the New Testament in 2 Peter 4, 9, for instance, we find that God is patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, repentance involves both a change of mind and a change of heart and action. Because I believe, if you would uh, think through this with me, that a man or woman can realize that they need to change their mind but they might be so much in love with their old ways and actions that they choose not to change them. And you can flip that around. A man may change his actions publicly, but still struggle with controlling the mind privately. So repentance is this radical change 
It denotes a change of mind, will, and actions. It's also a military term. That means about face. So if you're going this direction and it's wrong, about face, you're going to turn and go this way when you have that change happen in your life. The men to whom Peter spoke had refused to accept Jesus as Lord and Messiah. They hesitated. They did not believe at the time. And Peter calls him out for even participating in Jesus' execution. Now here are the same people of asking, what should we do? See, when a saved person receives a new mind and a heart, we begin to think differently. We begin to act and live differently. Instead of kind of having the selfish question of what's in it for me, the question changes to what is God's will for me? And repentance is not an emotion that comes and goes and fades away, nor is it a state of total sinlessness either. But it's a new relationship with the one who transforms the believer into a more of a holy one. You see, death becomes life when the Spirit begins to transform us. The change sometimes is radical, both inwardly and outwardly. Mind and judgment will change. Will and affections change. Behavior and lifestyle change. Motives and purposes are all involved here because repenting means starting to live this new life. And many of you in this room, me included, can say there was a time in our lives when things radically changed when Christ came into the picture. Repentance in Scripture has been expressed so many different ways, different actions we can see in Old Testament and in New Testament. Change in thinking, change in attitude towards sin and towards God. We see in Ezra, for example, there was this public display of mourning over sin and weeping and tearing the garments, tearing the hair and the beard and, and wearing sackcloth. When was the last time you really thought about your sin? In First Chronicles 21, a whole nation made restitution for the wrongs they had committed. It was a season of repentance. We can get a little more personal and name some names. For example, you might be familiar with the story in Luke 19 of this little guy named Zacchaeus. He made restitution for the fraud that he had committed as part of his occupation. And when his life got radically changed, he gave half of his possessions to the poor. And he paid back four times the amount that he had taken advantage of the people financially. Four times. And then there's Saul, pretty familiar with him, right? Christian persecutor, Damascus Road experience, kind of bizarre. Now we know him as Paul. He ends up preaching the faith that he tried to destroy. And then there's one maybe not quite as familiar, Onesimus. You find him in that wee little book called Philemon. He was a runaway slave. His life got changed and he ran back to the Master. And Paul went before him and said, I beg you, Philemon, to treat him just as you would treat me as a fellow Christian. Radical change. All these examples of repentance, of radical turning around, if you will, a change of heart, change of direction. 
And much later in our study of the Unstoppable series, when we get to Acts 26, verse 20 says, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of their repentance. See, our works and our deeds should reflect true repentance. Our actions will show a change of heart, a change of direction. So, church, let me ask you this question today. Is there a change of direction or a change of heart that you need to make in your life? Perhaps you need to ask God the same question that they're asking Peter here in our text. What should I do? What should I do? I love the, the writings of uh, an author, Paul Tripp. In one of his recent books, he wrote this. He said, you cannot grieve what you do not see. You cannot confess what you haven't grieved. And you cannot repent of what you haven't confessed. Let that sink in a little bit. You see, we must recognize our sin and then grieve our sin and begin to envision glory of what it would look like without that sin in our life. We teach this in our discipleship pathway here. We teach this in our D groups. When was the last time you recognized your sin and grieved over your sin, realizing what it has done to put Jesus on that cross? Grieving our sin and recognizing what it may look like without that sin. This will lead to confession to God and to others. And with that confession and the freedom that is released through that, we can turn away and repent from our sin and move forward in freedom. And behind all of this is the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us as believers. It's the force that's pushing us all up the surface so the confession comes. Notice the second response that Peter gives to the crowd, again in verse 38. Other than repent, he next says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism, baptizo, means to immerse totally under water in this case. That's why we as Baptists make sure you get wet all the way. <laughs> okay? It's the public decoration of our repentance and faith, and it symbolically identifies us with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And just to be clear, Peter is not teaching baptismal regeneration here. We're not saved by our baptism. Baptism follows belief in the Lord Jesus, and as we continue to read and teach through Acts together as a church, we're going to see that this teaching is very consistent throughout all the conversions that are listed there because baptisms always follow the acceptance and faith. And Peter was being obedient to Christ's command that we now know is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He's urging the people who repented and turned to the Lord for salvation to take this next step of obedience into the waters of baptism. I thought I would throw this in for history buffs. Archaeologists have have uncovered on the south side of the Temple Mount numerous large uh, baptistry-like facilities. They were used by Jewish worshipers in the day, and they would immerse themselves, if you will, 
in this ritual purification before entering the temple. So there was more than enough of those in the area to facilitate this large number of baptisms that came in a very short period of time based on the passage we're looking at today. You see, to the early church, baptism was the public profession of faith. It's, it's the occasion for the public confession of faith in Christ. It's not a mechanism for salvation. It needs to be remembered that as we move in Acts a little bit later, Peter's second sermon, baptism is not mentioned, but repentance still is, showing the importance of this. Baptism was an example that was set by Jesus. John the Baptist had the honor to do that. And then it was commanded by Jesus in Matthew 28. But we have to guard against some kind of mechanical sacrament or ritual, if you will, because baptism does not equal salvation. Salvation is a faith issue, not some right place and right words and, you know, right ritual type of issue. Salvation is not a product. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not something that we check a box for and, and it's finished when one trusts Christ. Actually, it's only begun. Our life has only begun there. It's not a fire insurance policy. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's a life of growing Christ-likeness that begins for us. And notice thirdly in, in verse 38 how Peter responds to his audience. He says, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now pay attention really closely to our text here. The Holy Spirit, we as believers receive, it says here, it's a gift. A gift. We can't pay for this. We can't work our way for this or earn this. It's a gift to us. It's something acquired or given without compensation in return, if you will. And scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit seals our conversion, empowers the believers to do our faith walk so that we can serve using the spiritual gifts that he gives us. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit coming in John 16, verses 8 through 11. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness and judgment, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And judgment, because of the ruler of this world has been judged. Misread that. Did you add it on the screens? <laughs> Sorry about that. You see, forgiveness does not abolish the consequences of sin, but it does put us right with God. When we receive the Spirit, we can begin to win these spiritual battles that we never thought we could win. And we can begin to resist the things that by ourselves we had been powerless before to conquer. Pentecost was clearly God's choice time for the Jesus followers to go into this new great adventure, if you will. For 40 days, Jesus had spoke to them about the Father's intention, and he encouraged his disciples by saying in Acts 1 that we just read a couple weeks ago, he says, wait for the gift my Father promised. 
in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now here in our text today, we see that coming in the, in the fruition. Jesus didn't push his followers unprepared into this adventure. It would have been too great for them. He doesn't do that to us either. He reminded them that he had promised them power. Remember, just 50 days before, Jesus himself had been crucified and he was raised again. And now here's this great harvest of everlasting life coming from Jesus' death. 120 believers being touched by the Spirit of God. And they became the first of millions who would follow them into this relationship. God was moving out beyond the boundaries of Israel to offer all people that relationship with himself, which is at the heart of eternal life. The disciples themselves didn't understand right at that moment all the things that was going on. They didn't understand the Spirit coming, what that meant necessarily. They didn't even know the word Pentecost. They didn't see Pentecost as we know it now as the beginning of the church either. They didn't realize that the Holy Spirit living in us as believers would himself produce this... Um, if you will, like a living link that bonds each individual to other believers. And it forms this vital, this loving, this living community that we now call the church. It's why my brothers and sisters in Haiti, that, and I know they're watching online <laughs> this service, hey guys, it's why I tell them in Haiti all the time, you are my brothers and sisters if you believe in Jesus Christ. We're in one community called the church. But they, they didn't understand all that, but they did know that God's new day was now. They knew that the Holy Spirit had filled them with this promised power. Look at what happens next, verse 39. Peter makes it really clear to his listeners who will receive this gift of the Spirit. He says, first of all, the promise is for you, meaning the people of Israel. Secondly, for your children, the next generation. And thirdly, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This includes those who not only were geographically far away, but those who were far away or far off in the knowledge of God. That would include the Gentiles and the Jews now. And as he calls us and draws us to himself, and we believe the Holy Spirit is received in us. You see, we may never experience a rushing wind or tongues of flame. We may never speak in a different language unless God chooses, right? But we do receive the Spirit when we believe because it's never about the experience. It's about the gift of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And this should give us hope. This should give us hope in evangelism, to know that the Spirit is still in the business of convicting and still in the business of calling rebellious hearts to repentance. So don't give up on your families. Don't give up on those who are lost that you're still praying for. He's still calling dead from their sins that are resisting the gospel to, to see their eyes open to the gospel. 
we see God's sovereignty in calling his people to himself. And, we, and here in Acts, we see the Spirit beginning to form the living church. In verse 40, Paul urges them to be saved from this corrupt generation. I want to flesh that out a little bit for us. Uh, I'll have it on the screen, but you can turn with me if you want to Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 78, beginning with verse 1. My people, hear my instructions. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's work, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. I read that not because it's Father's Day, but it fits, doesn't it? Fathers, make sure you pour into the next generation. Teach them. Invest in them. Tell the stories. Tell the testimonies. Pass on your faith so that a rebellious and stubborn and corrupt generation doesn't form because of lack of willingness to do that. Peter's begging them to not be part of the corrupt generation. God is calling them out of that to be faithful to the Lord. They looked on the nation of Israel as a crooked or corrupt generation that was under condemnation. And actually the nation would have about 40 years before Rome would come and destroy the city and the temple and then scatter the people. History was repeating itself, as it so many times does. During the 40 years in the wilderness, the new generation saved itself from the older generation that rebelled against God. And now God would give his people another 40 years of grace. And on that day, many people repented, believed, and were saved. So church, what's the bottom line here in this text today? A person that we now know as Peter stood up out of the crowd and began to preach. He gave instructions to repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? It says here 3,000 were added to faith in Jesus Christ and they were baptized. 3,000 people. Would you agree that's a pretty good day of church? <laughs> 3,000 people. Come on, church. Man, they didn't, they didn't have a building. They didn't have sound systems or lights. They didn't have fancy clothes. They didn't have a budget, but they had some of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? So do you and I, right? If all this went away, we still have the word and we still have the spirit. And we can still preach, right? 
3,000 people got saved and baptized from one sermon. Yeah, ring those bells. <laughs> Praise God. Perfect timing. One person bold enough to stand up and proclaim the truth. You know, last Sunday, I think we had something close to 300 people enter this building for services. Can you imagine if each of us decided to go out of these walls this week, church, and do the same as the ones who heard Peter's sermon? To leave here and repent of our sins, get baptized, maybe if you haven't done that yet, and go preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is unstoppable. I want to be part of something that's unstoppable. How about you? We have an unstoppable God. And because of that, we have an unstoppable church. And you know what? When, when God wants to move, things are going to move, right? And when you run into obstacles, you're like, man, this is so hard. Why is this so hard? Get out of the way because God's going to move that obstacle. If it's his will, his way, he's going to move it. And it's because he has given us the power to do those kind of things as well as the church. He will make a way. Do you believe that? And if you do, let me give you a few gospel responses. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up to close us out with a song. But as they're doing that, let me simply start with this. I don't want to assume in a crowd this size that everyone here has surrendered their life and, and their faith to the Lord Jesus. So in order for you to receive the Holy Spirit, you need to believe. And so if you would like to have a conversation, I'll have some pastors and deacons and leaders kind of just stand around the, the perimeter here while we sing this last song. We'd love to engage in a conversation with you about that, what that looks like, what are we talking about salvation here. And then secondly, I would like to ask you to check your heart. Maybe your heart was pierced this morning, like Scripture says. What sin do you need to ask forgiveness for and repent of? What's in there that needs to be taken care of? And I would also say this, that if you desire to follow in obedience to Scripture to be baptized, We'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Pastor Matt and Pastor Bill, if he's, he's with the kids right now, but there's some deacons here as well that can help, help you follow those next steps for baptism. If God has pierced your heart this morning, if God is leading, the Spirit is leading in any way like that, or you just want to come to one of us for prayer, we're friendly. <laughs> come approach us. We'd love to pray with you, okay? Let me pray for us. Father, your spirit is alive and well. We believe this. Have your way in this moment, God. As we examine our hearts, as we cry out to you, because you alone are the one that can change us. You are the one that can change the direction of our lives. You are the one that can save us and rescue us from our sin and our death in our sins. Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you glory. We worship you this morning, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's worship.
coming today. I hope you have a great week this week. Remember, you are sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. Thank you, Pastor Glenn, for preaching, for uh, repentance, for baptism, for um, God's Word to penetrate hearts. I pray that as you go, He would continue to work in your life. If you're not connected with a life group or Sunday school or a D group, hope that you will because you can take this conversation into that and continue to flesh that out in your own life.
Uh, we thank you again for being here. As you head out, we do have a gift for you fathers. Um, also, if you're new, uh, fill out a welcome card. We'd love to give you a welcome back to say thank you for coming and to be able to connect back with you. Again, have a great week. Remember, you're sitting in the midst of darkness to light it up. you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.